Welcome to a New Testament journey. We'll have our Bible reading followed by our devotional. Acts 21 After we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. The next day we went to Rhodes and from there to Patara. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre, where our ship was to unload its cargo. We sought up the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Through this spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city, and there on the beach we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship, and they returned home. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at Ptolemy, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, The Lord's will be done. After this, we started on our way up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the house of Nason, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James, and all the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard this, they praised God. Then they said to Paul, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them are zealous for the law. They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or to live according to our customs. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come, so do what we tell you. There are four men with us who have made a vow. Take these men, join in their purification rites, and pay their expenses, so that they can have their heads shaved. Then everyone will know there is no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. As for the Gentile believers, we have written to them our decision that they should abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. The next day, Paul took the men and purified himself along with them. Then he went to the temple to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end and the offering would be made for each of them. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Fellow Israelites, help us! This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And besides, he's brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with Paul and assured that Paul had brought him into the temple. The whole city was aroused and people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in uproar. 
He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd shouted one thing and some another, and since the commander could not get at the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed kept shouting, Get rid of him! As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, May I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? he replied. Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the wilderness some time ago? Paul answered, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. After receiving the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, Here we see what New Testament prophecy looked like. First, Agabus hears something from God. We don't know how he did this, but he obviously was well practised in it because he's known as a prophet. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, tells ordinary believers to eagerly desire the same gift. I wonder if you are agitating to be like Agabus. After hearing... Agabus presents the word in a manner that is creative and compelling. I like this. He really thought it was from God after all. But, and this is equally crucial, Paul weighs the word. Paul seems to be happy to accept the core of the word as being from God and at the same time to throw out Agabus's and everyone else's application of it. Paul doesn't just use his feelings to weigh the word. Instead, he reinterprets it using the biblical truth he knows God has already spoken. Because Jesus went to the cross for his calling, and because Jesus has called Paul to walk as Jesus walked, then Paul can't interpret a warning of harm as an instruction to avoid harm. Instead, Paul uses the prophecy as a warning to steal himself for the harm that is soon to come. Then, most interestingly of all, we see how the prophecy plays out. Agapus was correct that Paul would be bound, but he was wrong that it was the Jews who would bind Paul. That was done by the Roman soldiers, verse 33. So Agapus was seeing something clearly from the Lord, but he didn't get all the details correct, and he didn't get the application correct. This is a vision of New Testament prophecy. The Lord is in it, but it can be a bit messy. Does that messiness put you off? Over and again, I've seen people pull back from desiring the gift of prophecy because they don't get everything right, or they struggle to see clearly exactly what God is saying. But that is a travesty. Even Agabus saw like in a glass darkly. So I pray we become less bothered by the mess and more willing to practice this wonderful gift. It might be that there's a Paul in your small group who's going to face massive challenges this week and who, if they hear a half-correct prophecy, can strengthen themselves in God for all that is to come. Wouldn't it be amazing if you were the one God used to provide them 
with that strength. Here's a question for reflection. How could you learn to become an Agabus for your church? We pray God's word bears fruit in your life. For all the information about the New Testament journey, head to www.anewtestamentjourney.net.